Shut up and sit down. Hello and welcome to Nerd Game Night, the show where we talk about the tabletop games you know and love or don't know you love. I'm the host, Matthew McCluskey, and here with me, as always, is our resident rules master, Owen Nesbitt. That's me. And general goofball, Aidan Malone. Howdy. So, the game we're going to be talking about today is uh, Settlers of Catan by Klaus Teuber. Teuber? Teuber? <laughs> Look this up. Look it up. Yeah, um, not really much to say about it. It was the second game that we all got as friends. Again, it was Owen who bought it uh, in Galway. Started playing it. You know, we'll get into all the, the semantics of it, but suffice to say it became one of the mainstays that we play. Yeah, good yeah. stuff. Yeah, so best way to kick it off, as always, is a rules rundown. Still working on our interstitial music. We'll get it in one. <laughs> <laughs> so yes. uh, the rules please. you'll get your own show eventually <laughs> so yeah rules rundown with Alan Nesbitt yeah uh, so Settlers of Catan is a strategy game mostly focused on resource acquisition resource trading and constructing settlements to make more resources uh, resources in question there's only five of them it's wood sheep clay grain and rock and yes, I did get all of them right first time. <laughs> Excellent. Moving on. Um, so the game is played on an island which is represented by the board which has randomly placed tiles each time you play it. Yeah. Yeah. And on said tiles, they're each representative of a different resource and on the tile there is a random number counter. And the way the, the number counters work is on each person's go, they roll 2d6 and whatever number rolls uh, highlights either one or two tiles. In most cases, it's two tiles, mm-hmm. uh, only for the two and the 12. There's only one of each of those. Uh, if you have a settlement that you've already built adjacent to one of those number tiles, then you generate resources. The only exception to the rule is if a seven is rolled, and there is a special mechanic called the robber, who gets moved around and he will infringe on a tile's ability to produce resources. And basically you can use it to fuck with other people's strategies. If they have a tile that's producing them a lot of one resource, you put the rubber down and suddenly they're not getting any. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the aim of the game is to generate resources, to build settlements, to generate more resources. You win by accumulating 10 victory points which come about from the number of settlements you have and from buying development cards. Pretty so, much. Yeah. Um, so if we want to like break down into how a general turn comes about. Yeah, so basically on a turn, let's say to kick the game off, we all roll a dice or two to decide who goes first. Uh, after that, the person who goes first places their first settlement down, then it passes around in a a loop and when it gets to the third per- or the last person they put down their first settlement and then also put down their second settlement in a different spot and then it goes back around so it goes I think they call it serpentine order yeah, I was about to say, yeah. there, was, there yeah. was a specific name for that. one two three four four three two one mm-hmm. so not that we have four friends yeah <laughs> the advantage of or three. Uh, the advantage of going first is obviously that you can pick the best uh, spots as in the ones with the highest chance of being rolled so for example 
a six has a very high chance of being rolled as does a five, so you might locate there. The advantage of going last is you can pick, you know, two that are very close to each other, that are very complementary, for example. Synergize well. Yeah, so one that's on that collects two grain as well as being locating yourself on a grain port that you can trade two to one. Again, that's maybe getting a bit too far into it. General how the gameplay plays out. After that's happened, as Owen mentioned, I roll a dice. Okay, I get a six. Everyone who's adjacent to a six will pick up resources from that. From there, I can decide what I want to do. There's, you can basically build a road, build a settlement, upgrade to a city or buy a development card, and each takes different resources. I choose what I want to do. The game is a bit of a slow starter in that your first turn you might probably won't be able to do anything and then it passes. Uh, other things you can do on your turn, you can play a development card that you have, which could be a knight, which just gives you control of the robber. Could be road building, which allows you to build two roads. And, or it could be trading with someone to be like, uh, uh, I, uh, sorry, trading with someone to, uh, let's say I need clay and Aiden has clay and he needs uh, sheep, so we can trade sheep for clay. You can trade two is to one, ten is to one, whatever you want to do. Uh, you can also trade with the bank, so you can trade four sheep for one clay with the bank and there's different advantages and disadvantages to that. But that's essentially, like, a general turn is pick up resources, see what you can do. If you can't do anything, pass to the next person. That's the gist of it, all right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, a lot of the turns end up going quite fast. Yeah. Actually, you will, it's your, the turn gets passed to you, you roll the dice, resources are generated or not, as is sometimes the case. Mm-hmm. Like if a really obscure number is rolled, or even just a number that no one has situated themselves on, no resources generated. It's like, okay... I either already have enough resources in my hand to build something or buy something, or I don't. So it's like, okay, roll the dice. Oh, I can't do anything to pass. So it is quite fast like that. One good me- game mechanic that differentiates it from just a, like a card collecting game, and that's if a seven is rolled and the robber is moved, mm-hmm. if you've got eight or more cards in your hand, you need to dump half your cards. Yeah, and that actually is... I think a big part of it mm-hmm. um, you cannot hoard cards yeah. yeah. or you, you can but you do it at extreme risk to yourself um, so you are constantly encouraged to buy and develop which might not go directly in line with what your current plan is Yeah. like you might want to say okay look, I really want to upgrade this one village to a city but I have way too many cards I don't want to risk losing all this I'm just going to build a bunch of roads instead mm-hmm. And that probably leads us right into strategy. So this game, as Owen said, is a strategy game, maybe unlike Munchkin, which we talked about in the last episode. You have a pretty big influence, I would say, on the strategy you adopt, more than Munchkin. I would say you have at least a 50% more influence. You can choose what sort of strategy you want, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Uh, Whether your strategy will bear fruit is completely up to the roll of the dice. And like in when you're rolling two d six, seven is the most likely to come up, mm-hmm. and after that it's six and eight, and then five and nine. Uh, like we've all had games where you situate yourselves on a six and an eight, thinking that it's going to be a bountiful harvest constantly, and it's just twos and threes and tens getting rolled constantly. Mm-hmm. It's like I know this is a statistical outlier. This is not how it should be happening, but sometimes. Mm. 
even your brilliant mastermind strategy gets totally undermined by the random roll of dice. Well, yeah, let's, let's just talk then about basic strategy. So as Owen says, like, the strategy you're, you're crafting is to win. Mm-hmm. You can need to get to 10 victory points. So, like, what are the ways to get there? So one way is to locate yourself that you can build as many settlements and cities as possible. So to build a settlement, you need two roads apart from your from a different settlement that you already built, which is obviously one of your first two, and then building from that. Or to build a city, uh, it replaces an existing settlement, but it takes a almost completely different set of cards than building a settlement. Mm-hmm. You only have a certain number of settlements, so you can't just build settlements the whole game. You will eventually have to build a city or, or do something else. Uh, but that's like one strategy you can go down is just sort of building settlements and cities. Uh, like, what, what do you guys think of that strategy? It's not something I do that much. Uh, it doesn't generally work out terribly well, uh, at least for me, um, because you can't build settlements right beside each other. There has to be uh, two roads worth of space yeah. um, between your settlement and anybody else's. Mm-hmm. Um, so you need quite a lot of area to spread out into if you really want to capitalize on that. Um, with three people at the table, that's kind of doable. As soon as you hit four, that's totally uh, yeah, not true. viable. Yeah. The other thing about that is building a settlement requires one wood, one clay, one grain, and one sheep. So like that's four different type of resources, and it would be very hard on a random board to make sure you can reliably generate yeah. all those resources. Yeah, so that, that brings up another sort of side strategy, which is trading cards. Mm-hmm. So what are the strategies, let's say for me, to, to lead it off, I like to trade with people as little as possible Yeah. because it gives them resources that they need as well. Yes, mm-hmm. it's good for me, but it's also good for them. I like to trade with the bank as much as possible, which is force to one, which is obviously pretty horrible but yeah. that's why one of my strategies would always be where possible to locate on a port where I can trade and just get a bit of a rules breakdown for the trading there and there you can always have a generic straight up trade with the bank of four or resources to one resource yeah and, and it, has, it, has, to it be, has to be a different resource yeah and just has, downsize and it has to be the, the same four of the same resource four of the same resource so yeah. four rock four timber no mixing and matching mm-hmm. there are a certain number of ports around the board that offer a three to one trade mm-hmm. that's still three of the same to a new resource and then there is one port for each of the five resources that is specialized for that resource yeah. so there will be a timber port where you can trade two resource of timber for any one other resource yeah um, and that ends up that's definitely one of the best ways to start off if you're the last person to place yeah um, because you can pick out that one resource port that you want and place yourself on your other settlement somewhere where it will hopefully generate a lot of that resource yeah. and then you can just trade with the bank you're not giving a resource to someone else that they can utilize. It's just going into this, you know, black hole. Yeah. Strategy-wise, then, what what do you like to get off the bat, off off the die roll? If there's four people playing, um, where do you want to go? I want timber and uh, sorry, timber and clay as much as possible to start with. Okay. Because, but what position what? do you want to be in in terms of do you want to play oh, first, sorry. second, or third? So, uh, in that respect, um, 
I have much less strong opinions than you guys. It really doesn't matter to me. I'll just make do with whatever I have. I know you two really care. I hate going first. Because if you go first, you might get yourself, if you're very lucky, on like a a six and a five. Mm -hmm. And if you're lucky, another like a four or something. So you've got three numbers that are statistically likely to come up fairly often. But then, okay, you've got three different resources. But then by the time the other three people put down six more locations you're so limited in what you've got left over that you're sort of just like scraping the end of the barrel okay I'm taking it because I sort of have to take it Mm -hmm. and it's not linked in any way to my first settlement so that completely directs my strategy what position I go in yeah so if I go I'd love to go last because then okay I know I have two places this goes well with this port I'm gonna pick those Mm -hmm. it's harder to strategize ironically the earlier you are like in the ter- like it's harder to to because as Owen says uh, you can sort of just play with what you get and that's what you have to do if you come first or second in a game of four or first I think in a, in a game of three it's very difficult to say oh I'm going to play like this and then suddenly that plan just falls apart sort of um, saying that uh, you brought up something interesting one of the sort of side rules which I guess doesn't really fit into the rules rundown that much but it's is you can't have a six and an eight beside each other. So when you're dealing out the counters, the sixes and the eights have to be separate. So you'll never get a stage where you can be on a six, an eight, and a six or something. So everything's spaced out to be as even as possible, which makes going first, again, less of a great thing. I actually really liked that feature that they added in. Yeah. And the fact that the really high value, high probability rolls, six and eights, uh, aren't allowed to be adjacent. Yeah. Um, because like otherwise you would just have these absolute hot spots mm-hmm. that as soon as you got it, I'm not sure it would like guarantee you the game, but like you're starting significantly further ahead than yeah. everybody else. I think what I realize even as we're just talking about it now is that there is no, there's very few games where I can be like, oh, I went with this exact strategy and it worked out well. A lot of the times you'll have to build a few settlements. You'll also have to get a few development cards and you'll need to build some cities. So in the development cards, you can get knights, which is, Owen said, activate the same power as the robber. Uh, but also once you have three knights, you get, uh, and if you're the first person, I should say, to get three knights, you get what's called the largest army, which is two extra points. Also, if you're the first person, or two victory points. If you're the first person to build five roads or more, you get longest road. Now, this can be taken over but someone not only has to equal how many roads or uh, knights you have, but they have to surpass it before they can take it off you. And as you can imagine, in a game where you need to collect so many resources to get just one victory point, getting two for longest road and two for largest army is such a gift Mm -hmm. when it's like, oh, now I'm on four, I already have two on the board, I'm suddenly on six. It's like I have to do very little from here to actually win, surprisingly two cities suddenly you're on eight so like the development card strategy is something i started doing uh and it like worked out for a few games but now i think it's sort of plateaued a lot more originally when we played i felt that everyone didn't just ignore the development cards so any of them i bought i was able to do like quite well out of them and suddenly i had extra points and i only had to build a handful of roads to get longest road as well but now in the game we play at least the strategy has to be a lot more balanced you sort of have to 
play with what you've got. Okay, you want to build a settlement there, but you have enough for a city, so you just have to build a city. Well, what's what's our favorite then? If you had your ideal situation, you're starting in the order you want to start in. What do you look for on the board? What what do you want to do in a game? My I- ideal where I finished because I think it was one of the favorite games that we played is I had four settlements all in a line so it was eight roads if my math is right so sorry six is fine six I I think I might have had eight anyway and I had two coming off Mm -hmm. that so that was longest road I also had largest army uh, and yeah I think and then I had two victory points so I like having a very compact I don't like having like roads coming off everywhere from my settlements. I like having a straight line and being able to maximize how much I get out of uh, everything I build. Mm. Longest road only counts towards your longest straight line road. It doesn't count if you're branching off and building roads everywhere. Or looping. Or looping, exactly. <laughs> Infinite roads. So I, I like to be like, if I'm building a road, I want it to count for something. Mm. What about you? Or Aiden or what? Um, I... All, for the first time always avoided the uh, development guards because I just they were sort of a, a separate entity to the game that I was I was focused on the board a lot and I, I think I, I go more on the building base I try and get as many settlements on the board as quickly as possible mm-hmm. convert them into cities if you have a city you get double the resource if the number goes up so that just churns more and more resources but like we're saying there's only so many places on the board you can go so my ideal, going last, placing, pick two places that churn out the settlement resources and just work off them. Oh Yeah, uh, I would try to do something similar, uh, as I sort of alluded to earlier by accident, I mainly try to focus on wood and clay at the start, mm-hmm. to start building roads and you're halfway to a settlement at that stage. Uh, one thing I really try to avoid doing is being over-reliant on a singular tile to produce stuff and um, so like it is entirely possible to put up to three settlements around a single tile mm-hmm. and sure it's great when someone rolls that number you get three times as much resources and um, but it is then also very easy to screw with somebody's strategy as soon as like a robber is rolled it's instantly if it's not currently on your space it's moving back to your space that's true because people see that and they see that as an immediate threat yeah and mm-hmm. um, yeah holy shit they're just generating so many cards yeah if um, every like for example if i have three settlements on grain and every time a six is rolled i'm getting grain and then every time a whatever is rolled i'm getting rock mm-hmm. I, i'm getting two rock or something i'm just churning out yeah like in the game we just played before the podcast um I hadn't even gotten to that stage uh, to like double mine mm-hmm. uh, for a term at uh, one resource and um, it was a clay it was a six number tile on it so it was coming up fairly recent very regularly and I was on the clay port and my strategy for the game was just to continuously generate clay trade it and that's how I was going to produce yeah. everything and uh, I didn't even get a chance to put a second settlement on it because both of you kept nerfing it with the knight mm-hmm. constantly so half the time six was rolled I wasn't getting anything yeah yeah. Um, that's why like I, I want to ask two questions so I'm going to ask this one first <laughs> what are your favourite resources to be on mine are it doesn't matter start end game mine are grain and rock definitely not rock 
I, I, I know you, you picked Granite Rock because they're like city builders. I don't, I don't know why, but I love rock and I like timber, even though they, they have no interaction between each other. I just like being on those resources. I, they do nothing. I'll tell you why I like rock and grain. One is because it's a city builder, like Aiden said. The other is it always seems to be the thing that other people don't have and need. It's like because yeah. no one relocates on rock. And then you can you always seem to just be able to trade. Just, for it what just turns want. into the commodity in the game yeah. because people tend to ignore them early on. Yeah. What do I, you yeah. said already? Yeah, but I just yeah. think, but just in terms of rock, I think it's absolutely useless for the beginning game. Yeah. Um, so unless you get fairly lucky and are able to locate on a rock port as well, so you can trade it out yeah. for a useful commodity, or your other numbers roll up a bunch and you actually can grow, uh, you have no chance to sort of expand. Uh, my ideal scenario would be to expand as much as possible in the early game so in the mid and late game I'm just constantly generating resources every single turn yeah mm-hmm. so uh, yeah wooden clay all the way yeah no yeah I, I definitely focus more on late game because I sort of feel like everyone gets through the early game at some point like I'd never remember in the game really stagnating with this strategy that I'm just like oh I can't move off anything <laughs> like you said if I was not on a port or something, it can get quite slow, but if you're reasonably smart about it, it does work. But having said that, if the numbers on rock and grain are really bad, I won't, won't locate on them. But uh, I think there's like a million sort of strategies that you could talk about. There's loads of little nuances, but in general, you sort of, right now, as we play it, there's no real one defined strategy that we all play. No, and there's no one that'll outplay the other right. no it really depends on it's all down to the dice if it, like you could be on all the resources yeah. you want to be on all the ports you want to be on if the dice doesn't roll you're not going to win actually I'll finish it on this point I think it's a very easy like it's very it's a very easy game to play badly mm-hmm. I remember the first couple times we played it I lost like catastrophically and it's because I didn't put that much emphasis on the die rolls in like how being located on a 12, a 10, and a 9 is actually quite bad. Uh, I didn't really think that it had that big of an impact in my head, and I remember just losing, and I really didn't like the game. And so I think it's, although you can't put it, you can't, like, it does come down to the dice, it's also, you can play it really badly, but it's hard to actively play it like, oh, I know I'm going to win. But yeah, you can definitely play it badly. But we'll talk about something, I guess, that we don't know too much about. We which probably is the... should have researched a bit before <laughs> this. But it does have expansions. Uh, it has a good few expansions, actually, more than I thought. And uh, the expansions from what I've gleaned from reading the back of the boxes and online, <laughs> basically... Uh, added... A very thorough podcast. Yeah, oh, yeah exactly. Yeah. But we do the manila of the game and yeah. leave the rest up to chance. Uh, but basically... It creates what almost like an Age of Empires situation. I don't know if any of you ever played Age of Empires 2 where there was a map you could pick which was islands yeah. and team islands. Yeah. And it's like that. So there's a bunch of different islands and there's ships going between them. I'm not going to talk any more about it because I don't know how it works, how the ships move, what happens. But what I will say about them is from looking at them, they seem to add a decent amount to the game. Uh, would I buy one? For the price, no. But 
they I wouldn't be disappointed if someone got one for us. <laughs> hint, hint. <laughs> P.O. box. Yeah. Uh, note to self, get P.O. box. Yeah. Uh, or just give them my address. Don't do that. Um, I, I'm not 100% confident in saying this, but I'm pretty sure all the expansions do require the base game. I, I believe so. Okay. So, unlike Munchkin, where they have the different core sets, which are all basically standalone games requiring the base set and then the expansions for the expansions really bugs me and mm-hmm. um, it's you're sort of saying that okay we had a couple more ideas but those ideas don't have legs to stand up by themselves yeah. they're only sort of good with this base game mm-hmm. and that's sort of that, that doesn't sit well with me just to cover ourselves if you said if the other <laughs> games were standalone because i have seen two different mm-hmm. types of expansions would you say that if they were standalone then i don't know why well, I was going to say I don't know why they're still branding it as Soldiers of Catan yeah. um, but then I could say the same thing about Munchkin basically um, so yeah I kind of shot myself in the foot with that point <laughs> no no, I, 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 but I think I do agree with you <clears throat> I think from what I've seen again from the back of the boxes at least if they are based on their own standalone games they're a lot more similar than Munchkin is mm-hmm. for example Uh did we see one of the expansions that it had player cards? Yes. Um, we mentioned this off-podcast when we were discussing the game. Uh, one of the ideas I think Aiden had was ways that the players could distinguish themselves more. Yeah. Because um, right now everybody's the exact same. The only difference is the color of your tile pieces. Yeah. Um, so we wanted like some maybe like unique powers or mm-hmm. abilities that could influence the flow yeah. of the game. And said, that sounds like a really good idea. And then we looked it up and it's David actually already done it. Yeah. Um, so kudos to them. <laughs> yeah. We're not actually genius. <laughs> there was a big blow to my ego when I found out. Oh, okay, well, all right, never mind. Uh, as far as we know, he didn't read it before coming to us. But mm-hmm. yeah. but bas- I think stuff like that, it um, does add to the game. I feel like the game doesn't change as much as Munchkin would change. For example, if we just take that example, having done, once again, no research, and say that, let's say you're a dwarf, and you mine rock two times, like, Mm -hmm. plus one, whatever you mine it, usually. Does that add a huge amount to the game? Does it add new end conditions? Does it add anything? No, it adds a bit of a, like, an extra, like, oh, I get this. A a bit more role-playing. Yeah. But does it... Yeah. It's not for me. It wouldn't feel like playing a new game. Depending on what the the updates and the abilities are, I think it could pigeonhole you into a strategy. Yeah. And the best thing about Silver's Can at the minute is you don't have to stick with a strategy. You can go it in one direction, realize it's not working, and switch. Yeah. But if you have a specific ability that only makes this route viable, and suddenly that's not viable, it's like, oh, why am I playing? Yeah, I I completely agree. And just to tack on to Owen's mm-hmm. point. It makes your strategy incredibly visible. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, oh yeah. I'm a dwarf, so I mine this much easier. Yeah, that's. Yeah. I, I never even thought of that. Yeah, but I guess moving on from that to something maybe we know more about. Back to the vanilla <laughs> game. Uh, pros and cons. Ever are, so. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Everyone knows the podcast. <laughs> uh, so pros and cons. I'm going to lead off with a pro, which I think is one of my favorite things about the game which is that the board is rebuilt at random each time the game starts. 
so replayability exactly the the old coin term from Munchkin but I definitely I think it's it's even like it's sort of fun even setting up the board like it's not just you open it out you sort of set it up randomly and you can see oh god all the grain is actually bunched together and mm-hmm. it it changes the dynamics of the game so much each time Ed and I obviously said we like going last sometimes I would argue that there's some boards where I've been like oh I actually sort of wish I was going first uh, so even though most of the times I would like yeah. to go last there's some boards that play out it's like oh now this is better now this is better uh, any other pros coming to people's minds um, we, we touched on it a, a good few times but just the scope of what you can do in the game it's not just uh, okay I have to collect this resource and build a thing this, the way you go about collecting the resources you don't have to just monotonously run through a deck until you get what you want you can physically move your pieces and move your sort of train of thought do I want to collect this so I'll have to make myself go over there and do it or do I want to collect something else there's mm-hmm. a lot more sort of scope than even in a munchkin game where it's okay I just have to run through the deck until I hit the right monsters this yeah. is I physically want to go over here and do this yeah. so I kind of have to make myself do it much more strategy based yeah yeah, yeah. oh um, I as I mentioned in the previous section the variability of which direction you can go you mm-hmm. can change strategy on the fly and that's all good for yourself um, there was a second point and it's totally gone right now <laughs> well we can go back to me okay. uh, I, I also had a, a great point which we're going to stall for a bit while I think <laughs> uh, what was my point um, God. Aiden do you want to uh, help me out if here if I can get, open up with a very very nitpicky con yeah. um, I hate the way that sheep and timber are both green the resources all yeah. have different colors. Timber is green, clay is brown, rock is gray, grain is yellow, sheep is a different green. Um, it just uh, you will point out they're two very different greens, yeah. but they are both green. To be fair, the sheep green. probably should be white. Just yeah. it's just really nice. It's like why did they make two goddamn green resources? That's fair. Yeah. Um, I did have another pro. Yeah. It's actually really annoying because I did have uh-huh. there, I uh, there. God, this is like annoying me so much. We will have to edit all this in post, <laughs> or not, as no. the case may be. Uh, I mean, I think there's a ton of nitpicky cons that you can pick at. I really wanted to have more pros, but the nitpicky cons are like, oh yeah, you only have the power of the dice. It can be today that there was a ton of sixes rolled and no eights rolled, uh, or very few eights. So that's one thing. Sometimes it's good to locate on fives and the person who's on five suddenly gets incredibly boosted up. On the flip side of that, I would say that usually the games are long enough that I think there's a a balance creeps into it. I'm not saying it ends out perfectly level, but sometimes you're like, God, there hasn't been a nine rolled and then there'll be four nines in a row. Uh, So I I wouldn't call it a a major con, but it is something that happens. Um, It's it's an odd con, but what we always look for in a game is how can we just make it a bit more fun than the game sort of provides for. Yeah. And, and when we were talking about Munchkin, it's screwing people over in fights. Mm-hmm. In Catan, it's the ability to pick and choose which of your friends you stop from getting resources. <laughs> so if somebody's up on their high horse and they're about to win the game and you drop the robber on their resource, you've just stunted them. Yeah. So it's, it's sort of... Um, 
it just adds adds a bit more fun to the game when it's not just okay I have to place this like I'm going to actively yeah screw somebody over just because I'm not really doing as as well as you I think that's a, another good pro as well is that it doesn't strike you as a game that you can have a big influence on other people because it's like you're very much focused on collecting my resources but oftentimes particularly in a four person game there'll be two people going for a certain resource or a certain spot and then it becomes like this yeah, race it, it, it turns into an arms race who, yeah. who is willing to like risk yeah. building roads early so they can get there but then not be able to build a settlement once they are there and yeah. it turns into and there's way to, ways to <laughs> cut people's longest road if they haven't built a settlement but, uh, within if, two yeah. if you're able to build a settlement on their road legally yeah. then you can break their longest road we haven't had too many times where it was like a really photo finish, if you want to call it, where someone like built something. But I, I think it can happen, and it's, although it's very annoying when you're the person. It's okay. I remembered the pro I was going to talk about, okay, about go three for minutes it. earlier. Maybe it's the same as mine. Hopefully you um, remembered mine as well. Same as what I have mentioned before in the Munchkin episode, I really enjoy cooperative opportunities in competitive games. So the fact that we are all competing against each other but there is that trading aspect where we can cooperate. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that leads to a lot of very interesting uh, interactions between players. Um, that, okay, yes, helping him is probably not good to my own goal, but me getting this is of a much greater value to me right now. Yeah. Um, Con-wise, it, you mentioned that as a nitpicky thing, I much bigger con for me is the randomness of the die rolls. Um, I feel that... I describe the game as a strategy game, and that is true. You do have to plan out what you want to do, but that plan can get totally shafted and have absolutely no end result whatsoever just because the dice weren't going your way. And that, that bugs me that I could have this master plan, but for reasons that are totally out of my control, has... No benefit yeah, yeah. for it's called life on. <laughs> good. No, uh, I think one of the pros, which is also sort of a weird one, we didn't talk about in Munchkin. Munchkin's about like an hour, half an hour, can be two hour long game on a real push. I really like that Settlers of Catan is like most of the time a pretty quick game. Like we played before this, it took like a half an hour, 45 minutes maybe, maybe even less. I'm not sure. Well, we only played half a game, so it went oh, fairly quick. That's true. But even still, I think with something like Risk or Monopoly, Risk or Monopoly often... It's def- investment. Yeah, it takes a lot of time, but it also becomes only interesting for two people at a certain point, yeah, or maybe yeah. even one person. Settlers of Catan, everyone's sort of always in the, the boat. Yeah, you can be a good few behind, but you're still playing the game, you're still rolling the dice. I think as a game to play with four people, as a strategy game, it does quite well. Uh, that would be like a big pro for me that, that I hadn't even really considered. Uh, again, Settlers of Catan, someone says, do they want to play it? I'm not like, oh, no, as people would be with Monopoly or something. It's a pretty quick game. We usually play maybe one or two games a night if we were going to play it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but I think we've probably exhausted pros and cons. I will think of mine later and we'll put it in really awkwardly in both. <laughs> Superimposed really badly. Yeah. There'd be a lot of traffic noise behind you because you'd be in the car when you record it. Actually, we should do it like an Obi Wan thing where I'm speaking in the background. <laughs> terrible, terrible, terrible. Uh, 
But yeah, I, it probably leads us on as usual to the rating. Uh, yeah. uh, I really need to think about this. I'll, I don't know I'll if anyone has it off in. the bar. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to give seven and a half. I love my half numbers. Yeah. Seven and a half out of ten. Um, the main reason for it, although it's a very good replayability game and you can change your strategy and all that, it's when I win a game of Catan, I know Matthew is, is on the same page here, I don't get as much out of winning the game of Catan. It seems almost like, like an inevitability at some stage. Okay, on my next turn, I'm going to win the game regardless of what anyone else does. And it's mm-hmm. like, when it comes to it, you roll the dice, you don't even look at what the dice does. You flip a few cards and, oh, okay, I've, I've, I've won the game now. I, I would say I not only don't get much out of it when I win, but I hate losing it. Because oftentimes you can be like so close to winning, yeah, you'll true. have 10 cards in your hand. It's like, all I need to do is not roll a 7, or someone not to roll a 7, and you roll a 7. And then it's like, oh, now my whole thing is falling apart. But, and and that, yeah. that's not to say I don't enjoy the game. It's certainly, I never, I never don't enjoy a game. It's just the high you get from, from winning it is, is not as high as most other games. Yeah, that I found. Oh, okay. Uh, six out of ten. Well, I like the game more than I dislike it, but only just about. Okay. Um, for a game that does rely fairly heavily on strategy, there is way too much randomness within it for me to appreciate. Um, like I said, just your strategies can just come to naught for absolutely no reason whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that bugs me quite a lot. God, I, I didn't think I, I'd be giving it the highest rate. Like, I was going to give it 8. I, I think for me it's an 8 out of 10. Uh, I would have thought out of the three of us, not that I liked it the least, but that at least we all thought it was around there. But I really like playing the game. Like I said, I don't like losing it, but that's not new for me. I hate losing anything. <laughs> that's very true. <laughs> since, since I used to lose cards when I played with my, uh, my family. Uh, but uh, I I do enjoy winning the game. I sometimes enjoy some of the roles you get on. I think it's quite funny that like sometimes you can be on like th- three things on a grain and two of them are cities. That every time someone rolls an eight, you get like five grain. It's just like ridiculous and a there, bit there, funny. There is you can you can pull a lot of humor from the game if yeah. the right circumstances are set. Yeah. Right. Never mind we the puns we didn't yeah. bring. <laughs> No one has mentioned, does anyone have wood for my sheep this entire podcast? Yeah, this is this game in particular just has all of the catchphrases involved in it on our table, probably only. Well, no, I think it's maybe, universal. Maybe. I, I thought... When, whenever yeah. somebody rolls timber, it's, I got wood, or I want your wood, <laughs> or anything, anything. But I think, anyway, for me, for me, it's a definitely a solid 8 out of 10. I don't see as much of the randomness as... Owen does, I don't think, although it obviously is a random die roll. I often feel if I've lost it, I can be like, oh, that was stupid. It has happened sometimes where a seven is rolled and I've lost all my cards and then haven't won. But when you say it like that, that's not really random chance when a seven is the most likely to come up. So in a roll of three people, it's quite likely that a seven will be rolled. But yeah, basically for me, eight out of ten, solid game. I think if I had the chance, even though Owen was doing about it, I would buy it I would pick it on my shop are you saying you wouldn't buy it again Owen if you could go back I'm not saying I wouldn't no I'd probably still buy it again yeah I mean for the amount of hours we've put into it it's been a solid game 
Like I, I still I still thoroughly enjoy it every time we do play it. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I think that's fair. I, I think I, I get how you're feeling on it. It's mm. like, I wouldn't not buy it, but in the scheme of the game we play it, it's not as high mm. up your list. So how would you improve it then? To get it from the, the lowly middle of the road up to at least a seven. Yeah. I if know, I wanted to do that, I'd have to remove a lot of the randomness to it and that would totally change the game itself. That's, that's fair. Yeah, sure, okay. So, so I don't... There's n- n- nothing to yeah. be said for it. The only thing the that I would really like to see is the individual character power things that we mentioned in yeah, the expansion. Yeah, that's the one thing. I think that would just make it more interesting. Yeah. yeah. Like, if that hadn't already been in one of the games, that would be a definite, definite mm-hmm. improvement. Having a Munchkin or D&D like, very vague class system where you get some sort of buff yeah. for whatever. Mm-hmm. But then, again, it would it's already there, so... <laughs> Yeah, go go and look at that. I th- I think uh, yeah, improvements for me. There's nothing really. As Owen says, you can't really change too much with the game. It's a game. I think that when you unbox it, you're gonna look and be like, "God, this looks really complicated." But actually, it's so simple. It's like almost as simple as a normal non-board nerdy game. I would say. like. There's yeah. not too much there's, in the rules. There's, there's no pretty much no yeah. maths or calculations or reading of anything involved. You literally can I build this? Yeah. Look, see if you have the four pictures that are on the box <laughs> in your hand. If yeah. so, you can build it. It's it's a toddler game the, in 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 complexity. The improvements that I guarantee pretty much anyone who's ever played Risk and Set of Catan have talked about is like being able to attack and disrupt yeah. other players in terms of like. Kill or not killing their, but like then, deleting their roads or something, and, and, and that is you're or essentially risk. turning it into a short form risk because yeah. risk when you're in, in, in invading is down to a die roll. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, but overall, I think um, that will pretty much do it for Settlers of Catan. Lower ratings than last week. We promised they weren't going to all be really no. high ratings. I'm going to be the nice guy who like doesn't want to rate anyone below eight. <laughs> well, that's going to happen. Yeah, but. Anyway, as you know, if you listen to the the last episode, before each episode we play the game at least once, and whoever wins picks who has to come up with the last line of our, our outro. So Aiden won the last one, picked himself. He's won this one and picked me. So with that in mind, from all of us here at Nerd Game Night, remember: play the game, roll the dice, and fuck Aiden because he won twice. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>